Greetings, everybody. This is Christopher Messina coming at you from the Messy Time Studios on another beautiful rainy day in post-Hurricane Ian, Florida. I am joined once again from Atlanta by my friend and colleague, Joshua Hensley. Thanks so much for coming on the show again. Thanks for having me. So, so much has been going on. Uh, I thought maybe we'd dive, dive right in. You were appointed to the Advisory Board of Unbounded Capital, which is a VC in the, in the kind of BSD space. Maybe for those who are unaware, uh, I think there's more trickling awareness coming in. How does BSV differ from what everyone hears about called Bitcoin uh, on the nightly news? Yeah, so BSV is really an, an implementation of what the original Bitcoin protocol that was released back in 2009. So most folks aren't aware of this primarily because of the price run-ups of these different coins. But originally, Bitcoin had tons of smart contracting capability, had no limit, arbitrary limits on transaction volume or anything like that, had very low fees. Um, but as time went on, developers tinkered with it and ripped out a lot of different functionality and they never restored it. Mm. Bitcoin SV has forked from that. And the SV stands for Satoshi's vision, which is really just implementing what Satoshi had from the beginning. Uh, there's still some changes, differences, but those are um, trivial differences. They're not really impacting anything. But as a result, there's been massive scaling taking place large blocks being mined and fees have been pushed to uh, very minute amounts, negligible amounts for people to be able to transact, build applications, move money around. That's awesome. And this is what I've tried to convey because so many of the folks that I deal with either kind of as professional investors in what's, what's come to be called traditional finance on Wall Street or just generally intelligent people who are, you know, look at the markets is that the the original Bitcoin protocol, the white paper was really about radical economic inclusiveness right mm. when people look at me like that you you raised it beautifully when we last spoke like if visa charges two and a half percent for a transaction there's a there's the rational lower limit to which is even worth bothering to use visa for something right so but if you are someone in in the developing world and you can actually build a business on mm. micro payments of two or three cents at a time bitcoin bsv allows that to happen right provide goods and services for three cents a pop, if you do that a thousand times a day, that's a business for somebody. Yeah, but you can't do that with the the kind of architecture we have now with Mastercard and Visa and the like. So that that's encouraging. We're seeing more and more of for unbounded or for others. You know, there's new competition. I just saw a constant a lot of stuff in the space. So when you say people are building tools on BSV, like what kind of stuff are they looking to build? What's what's kind of the are there major themes? The big um, the primary app that I've seen implemented thus far are consumer applications. So social media, games, gambling, this mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Um, those have been the dominant ones and the dominant ones writing transactions to the ledger. So uh, the one, actually, the, in my opinion, the top company in the space is called Haystarcade. And they basically implement this concept called instant leaderboard payout, which is as if you were going to a physical arcade machine and you deposit, say, a quarter. Instead of the machine just eating that quarter as pure revenue for the arcade, what happens is they take that quarter and they do take some of it themselves, but due to the micropayment micro capability, they actually split that with the people on the leaderboard. Hmm. So if you were the top score on Pac-Man, for example, you get 10% of that quarter. So you get 2.5 cents, for example. And they have various tiers that you can play. And it's instant. They 
that, that's what I mean. Is when you deposit it, there's no waiting for 30 days or 60 days for it to hit your bank account. It's you get that money as soon as that person hits the play button. And that, you know, and they have various leaderboards. Some of the leaderboards have as many as 100 players. And that dime or penny is split that many times proportionally based off their spot on the leaderboard. Right. That's cool. So if, you, if you're your number two on one of those fun games, you're not retiring, but you might be getting 80 bucks a week for hanging yeah. out playing a game. That's fun. Yeah. Some There's one guy in there who dominates, and he's made hundreds of dollars there. Uh, they haven't hit the scale to where someone could probably sustain, but as right. more their metrics are positive. Their their user numbers are growing. They're doing more marketing, so I think the future is very bright for them. That's interesting. It'll be what, what I will find fascinating is kind of the behavioral finance aspect of that, right? Because if you're playing and there are 500 people in your game, <laughs> you're pretty good. The chances are pretty high that you're going to be net positive on this thing, right? Maybe maybe the two to seven bucks, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But the moment there become 80,000 people all vying for the top 10 spots, then it becomes more like a lotto. Yeah. And I'd be curious to see, I'd be curious to see how or if that affects behavior. Because right. a lot of this is around the maturation of these, of these kind of quote unquote crypto markets are being to map what boring old Wall Street clowns like me have seen forever, right? How do you divide value how do you interpret equity valuations how do you know all that sort of stuff and i think um from my perspective i'd love to get yours if you're kind of closer to the crypto side of this you know so many of the errors being made in classical central banking especially since 2007 almost scream out for a decentralized revolution for the people to take back mm-hmm. how we talk about money how we talk about value is that is that kind of a key theme that you see for the folks who are looking to invest in this space? I think that was the case primarily with the BTC version of Bitcoin. That was previously the case, but somehow that narrative has morphed, mutated into this one about digital gold and non-inclusiveness, as you alluded to earlier, right? right? Because the transaction fee is so high, the price is also so high that really, um, I mean, you've, you've actually had people that support that version of Bitcoin uh, one of the guys, he was a, he had a C-level position at Blockstream, which was one of the development companies. He straight up said Bitcoin is not for people that um, live on less than $2 a day. He right. said that, which is completely the opposite of what the creator said about his invention in the white paper. Right. One of the first sentences in there is you can't do casual payments on the internet. Obviously, he foresaw this as a micropayment system, yet you have them changing the narrative. So Originally, yes. Uh, when Bitcoin first came out, the people that supported it were very aware of the issues with central banking and the Federal Reserve. And they were they go, went so far as this, they were wanted to end the Fed. They wanted to replace it. But now sure. you have them actually pandering and begging them to stop raising rates because it's crashing. <laughs> the price. And it's just ridiculous. I mean, you know, it goes back. I, have you seen that Peter Schiff video where he goes and talks to people at the um, uh, at that end, what was that? What was that movement back in? It was after the financial crisis. It was Occupy Wall Street. Oh yeah, God, those clowns. Yeah. <laughs> well, Schiff, Peter Schiff went there and he interviewed people there, and right. it's fascinating. And those guys, they had that sentiment that you just said. You know, they saw the issues and they wanted to change it. But right. and that was present in the Bitcoin space, but now it's gone. That's gone because now they're just they're cheerleading if say gold. Oh sure. Back. And what's so great about that is there's nothing new under the sun, 
right? <laughs> if you've got nothing and you're looking to get something, you are a crazy risk taker. The moment you have it, you want every every all innovation to stop. And this is good right now, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I you know it, it's it's been hilarious to watch because I was um offered a role. I'll never forget this. Offered a role with a, a very prominent uh, fund out on the West Coast that got into Bitcoin. And I went and sat with them. And I respect the guys. I, I I respect their understanding. But to me, Bitcoin was always, in and of itself, worth zero. Valuable protocol. It's like telling me, like, electrons are worth it. It never made any sense to me. Ever. Um, and and then they posted, I remember, they posted, like, 125,000% returns once. And I was sitting there thinking... Well, I'm an idiot. Like, I mean, clearly, I, you know, my, but, but, but I go back to Julian Robertson. I don't know. You might be too young to remember him. Julian Robertson ran the Tiger Fund, the original one, years ago. And he was, he was a huge star. He made a huge amount of money in mutual funds for equities for people. And in 2000, he kept going short all these stupid dot com stocks because none of them made any sense. And he had to close the fund. I think it was the Millennium Fund, if I remember correctly. He had to close the fund after three successive quarters of losses because he was going short because that was rational. And then the quarter after he shut down his fund, of course, the dot-com crash happened. He was he was proven right. So what? Right. Timing is everything in this world. And so should I have ridden the goofy Bitcoin price for six years? Apparently I should have. <laughs> but I'm looking smarter now. Anyway, but fundamentally, I mean, I, I see a huge amount of value in sort of the application that you're talking about um, because all the fake money that has plumped asset returns and, and it's the, the end the fed and um, Ron Paul wrote a great book, uh, Rand Paul, I forget which one End the fed. It was about that, right? Is that the central, the federal reserve is, is itself oddly not actually a central bank, which most people don't understand. Um, and it was set up by the major banks to basically protect their asses in the case of things went sideways. And it has worked a treat for the members of, of the Federal Reserve community. And it has been not so great for everybody else. Right. They have built in theft in the, in the form of inflation built into how they operate their models. They call it acceptable inflation. Americans should call it acceptable theft, but they do it all day long. So you know, for, for folks coming kind of new to this or, or seeing it from a different perspective, you know, do you see an entire parallel ecosystem where the dollar becomes quasi irrelevant? I don't. I think they'll kind of because I don't believe government will ever really relinquish that type of control. So um, I, it's hard to say this is a very hot topic and something I go back and forth on. But I, I think it'll be parallel systems, um, mm -hmm. especially if we see something like a central bank digital currency implemented. I can see a lot of people refusing to participate in such a system. And, you know, frankly, in my opinion, barter is superior than going into something like that. I mean, you know, some people will, you know, folks that don't know about this stuff will probably just accept it. But I think because of what's happened with Bitcoin, even though it's been malformed and with all these different coins, people still kind of are aware that this central, this CBDC thing is bad. So, yeah. I think that will ensure that we have at least have two parallel systems. Um, the thing is, I think they might have issues with scalability. So something that is possible is that they end up actually using a scalable blockchain to do the CBDC on top of. Mm. 
So that could happen, but I think we're years away from something like that. And what, so, so you know, for those who aren't paying close attention, it's a central bank digital currency. So the Fed would offer a digital dollar, which arguably they do now, which I find so hilarious. Like what is, if the Fed creates dollars now by sending electrons to banks at an interest rate. So it's, it's a digital dollar now. And the difference of course is you can track wallets and control things. Um, but again, I think a lot of that's overblown right now. You know, as anyone who's bothered to not pay the IRS for a while will find out, magically you go to your JP Morgan account, there's no money in it. So there's already a lot of governmental control, right? You're you're right. absolutely right that a complete system completely separate from government will be hard hard to maintain. Um but I'm curious to see I had you know Christian Carlo on talking about that. You know, the 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 the, the precursors were already before the PayPal kerfuffle about this nonsense of 2500 bucks, which I think is one of the best lies ever. Um, I love that. I love the fact that everyone's like, that's viable and, and it made sense. And because of the conditions big tech have set, rational people were ready to believe that was totally a thing PayPal would do, right? Very funny. Um, but PayPal did already, already give an implication of what a CBDC could look like in that they decided what you're allowed to buy, right? Like, I can't go buy ammunition with PayPal. Well, it's not an illegal product. Why can't? What do you mean I can't buy it? Why? Because you just don't like it, yeah. right? So there's a Sharia compliance CB, CBDC. Can I not buy pork and pornography and tobacco? I mean, what am I going to yeah. do on Saturday, right? So it's curious to see how much values that are extraneous to economic transactions can get buried buried in. Um, and what are the other big big kind of things that you guys are, you know? folks in the community of the VCs looking at these projects and what are the big overarching macro things that you guys look at that are worrying to you? Um, for me, it's really the, I mean, it's, in, it's the government's term of inflation, which is rising prices, right? Because yeah. um, in reality, uh, Bitcoin from 2008, 2009 has never seen interest rates, sustained interest rates above 0%. And now we have that for the first time ever. Yeah, we had it in 2018, but it was it was that was like six or nine months or something before yeah. they before they pivoted and went back to zero. So, um, what is what is Bitcoin going to do in that type of environment when you actually have rising rates? Um, since the kind of greater crypto crash happened earlier in May of this year, we haven't really seen it be impacted by these rising rates. I okay. think that it's going to continue to tank the prices to the degree where People will start to see, okay, a lot of this stuff is garbage. Which one of these actually works? Which, and I made, I actually did a video recently about this. The question becomes, you know, this whole, all these digital currencies are highly speculative, right? I mean, you yeah. have literal coins named Shiba Inu, Doggy Coin, Poop, going to the moon, so to speak. Right. These things have no utility. It's all speculation, right? Yeah. Arguably driven by the 0% rates caused by the Fed in the first place. So now that that goes away, folks are going to have to look into this space and say, what, which of these coins can I actually do something with that's irrelevant, that's uh, regardless of the price? Because mm. if BTC goes down, what's the use case, right? There's no use case for it. Um, if BSV goes down, you have all these companies that are built on top of it. There is a floor price there because you have businesses actually needing it to do to run sure. there's really utility they're doing stuff with it right yeah. yeah so i actually kind of made a troll video called all cryptos to zero bsv to five dollars because if the Fed keeps, 
if, if the Fed keeps raising rates, yeah. then this, that's what's going to happen. Is I mean, I'm sure you got to have other cryptos that do have economic activity, preserve value. And it's interesting. Think- it's interesting to see the the correlation between Fed rates and crypto. Is that because so much of this has been all based on you know staking and loaning it to one another, and everyone's passing this around? And really, you ever read the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? No, with Douglas Adams, totally worth it. Anyway, in it, it's set in in it's modern day modern day Earth, probably thirty years ago actually. But we we are contacted by people, so we are not alone in the universe, right? There's an entire culture, you know, universal culture out there, far more sophisticated than we are. Long and short of it is, at one point they crash land on prehistoric Earth, and the idiots there are deciding that uh, leaves are currency, so. They're they're basically taking leaves off trees and shoving them in their pockets, and then they just they, they they do come to realize much that that an excess of monetary supply leads to inflation. So in order to increase the value of the leaves in their pockets, they they embark on a massive program of deforestation. <laughs> it's an absurdist view, but that's the point, right? Is that that there's no inherent value to any of this stuff. And and uh, I've been saying it for years about Andy Warhol, which makes art collectors very angry. Like if a lot of millionaires hadn't bought Andy Warhol and told each other it's worth a lot, it would be worth what it is, which is zero, right? He didn't do anything. He had assistants while he was stoned, silkscreen pictures of Campbell's soup cans on canvases. Clever for a dorm room poster, but $4 million at auction is ridiculous. But again, that's my fundamental view. I don't have to buy it. Similarly, for a lot of these these you know nonsense coins, unless they have some real utility, it's all been a fun game and it's going to be an historical footnote. So, of course, you say that, you're, you're, you're goring a lot of oxes of people who, quote, unquote, are really, really rich right now. But yeah. until they can turn those nonsense coins into dollars, it's all theoretical. Exactly, yeah. And that's what this whole space is predicated on is that no one actually cares about these assets. They care about the fiat amounts they're worth their worth which again goes back to, that really drives home the point i made earlier which is how did we go from something to want to make society better by pushing up against the federal reserve to oh actually we're we're begging them to help us so our asset price doesn't continue to crash right well human nature <laughs> is that we got there <clears throat> so when the great you know the shakeout comes i think it's it's going to be kind of like the dot-com crash that I lived through in 2001, right? Those fundamental business models that actually people derive value from will continue and thrive and grow. And those that were just goofy ideas will be, you know, a chuckle. Like, <laughs> yeah. you remember commenting on MySpace about the Super Bowl ad for Pets.com? <laughs> um, so that's interesting. What, um, if, you had, if you had any key advice aside from get out of all these ridiculous coins because they themselves are not assets worth anything. And I have, I got I asked question because I don't know, I've heard this guy Peter Schiff's name, I don't know who he is. Um, but I saw something, uh, I, I accidentally maintained a Twitter account that I didn't mean to, uh, but I was on it the other day and I saw some people screaming back and forth at each other, right? And I, I, lo- I love it when you, get, when you observe a fight that means nothing to you and some clown is yelling that, 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 Bitcoin's a commodity and someone's yelling into security and frankly, it's neither. So I'm kind of fascinated. Can you elucidate what are these idiots howling about? Um, the argument that it's a security, I think, is not valid because um, 
it was it was just put out there. It wasn't sold. It wasn't created for an investment vehicle. It was something created to do something, which is facilitate micropayments to solve the issue of online commerce because right. we don't have it. We don't have payment protocols on the internet. They exist, but there's no actual coin. Um, as far as a commodity, yes, I've heard people mention that they don't believe Bitcoin is a commodity. Um, Craig Wright, who I believe is, is Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator, has said that it is cash and he believes that it is, it is a commodity. His justification for it was that because you need it to actually interact with this ledger, this global ledger, yeah. you need it to pay for data to write to the chain. That's his justification for it. He has some other ones that I haven't um, dug into, but hmm. you know, he looks at it more... Um, my understanding is that it's, he looks at it more like a silver where, okay, yes, people give value to it, but at the, but it has a usage. It has a core usage. People use it in right. product to do whatever or jewelry, whatever. And oh. that is true for Bitcoin because if you were use it as not a payment, you need it to write to the ledger, which, I mean, that's a valid use case. A lot sure. of these companies are writing data to the chain, whether it's order data, um, logs, immutable logs, that sort of thing, time stamping. So um i i believe it is a commodity but i can understand how people are struggling to come to that conclusion yeah i'd have to having spent my career in commodities i'd have to spend a lot of time thinking about that because that by that definition binary code is a commodity i mean you begin to define things in terms of if it's useful for something it's commodity then everything's a commodity yeah so I, to the extent that that's true, that's kind of like a non-statement. Okay, I get it. But um, it matters to folks like me because, you know, we're issuing an, a, a, an NFT tied to real-world physical commodities, you know, rare earths, critical minerals. Um, and that becomes a regulatory distinction, yeah. right? And so the CFTC will be able to regulate futures contracts of commodities listed on exchanges. They don't regulate OTC contracts. Um so I think some of that fight has got to be about regulatory impact, yeah. right? If if I yeah. allow you to call it a commodity, then I'm trapped in this regulatory regime. Um, it's certainly not a security. What's the you know the security yeah. is a title to something that's underlying. It's not it's not that, huh? So what else? What else is on your mind? What else is is, is incredibly important that uh, everybody should pay attention to? Well, the thing I think is um, I actually had a guest on my channel recently to discuss some of the stuff going on in the bond market. And he had a different take on what the Fed's doing. And the feedback has been really interesting. I learned a lot from that conversation, but it's, it's really driven by the interest rates spiking in the different bond markets in different countries. So, it, I mean, I think it's incredible what we're seeing right now. I mean, the treasury rate in the U.S. averaged somewhere around 4%, which I've never seen it that high. Because I mean, I'm young. I'm a young. Yes. I remember when it was fourteen percent. So, <laughs> <laughs> and and you see what Bank of England is happening, is doing with the pensions. They're having to basically get in there and suppress the rates because it's going out of control. So, I keep seeing that people are ringing the ringing the sounding the alarm, saying there's going to be carnage because this is going to impact equities, which it has. Yep. Uh, but we but we haven't seen like a meltdown yet. But a lot of people think this is going to happen. Um, I think that's probably true, given how the market just seems like it wants yeah. to fall off a cliff. And what I'm trying to understand is how does this impact the crypto space? Because I think it's just going to hammer it even worse than, say, stock market stuff because of the lack of utility there. So it's, I think it's a fascinating paradigm that we have going on right now. 
if it's helpful, I, you know, I saw a part of that interview with a bright guy. I, th- I think the if it's helpful, uh, markets are rational until they're not, and things are not correlated until they are. Uh, and part of what that means is because I lived through the, the the last crash, which was all, and it's it's actually this book um, actually by, by Peter Wallace in Bad History, Worst Policy. If you allow politicians to set the narrative about what happened then as he says in bad history worse policy if you let them misdiagnose what happened you know i have employees constantly uh younger i tell them that there are at least three areas in human nature in human existence for which absolute acceptance of objective reality is critical buddhism alcoholism and finance (laughs) if you don't accept reality you're fixing the wrong problem Right. If your problem is you're a drunk, but you think it's I wake up late and my boss doesn't like me, you're fixing the wrong problem. You're waking up late and your boss doesn't like you. You drink too much. And similarly, um, when we get the, the, the Dodd Frank Act and you had a crash about seven oh eight, all of that was caused by government intervention in the housing market. All of it, right? But the politicians and media got into lockstep the second it happened. And they all got the exact same cue cards, which read greedy bankers, greedy yeah. bankers, right? And all the Occupy Wall Street, I mean, I go on and on about that nonsense. The idiot that founded Occupy Wall Street was in the University of Chicago Anthropology Department with me. He was a lunatic and an idiot and a commie jackass then. And so, I, and so then, then I lived right downtown by Zuccotti Park. So these idiots impacted my daily life. And when I found out that he was behind it, I was like, you got to be kidding me. This, this, this putz will not leave me alone. Anyway, story for another day. But because the media and everyone and Congress, they deliberately, Bill Angelides, this Democrat hack in California, was appointed by Obama to, to look at the, the, the commission. They, they lied. They just lied. They lied. They lied entirely about mm-hmm. it, right? Structured finance and derivatives, blah, 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 all this crap had nothing to do with the crash. Nothing. So because they misdiagnosed it, we then got the Dodd-Frank Act, which Mm. addressed the problem which never existed in the first place Mm. and was a laundry list of every leftist Democrat's wet dream about what they wanted to do to the capital markets. Mm. And the damage continues, right? The damage continues. And so uh, my main headache is we're going to see more more economic dislocation, but it all goes back to the exact same root cause, which is governmental interference in capital markets, hmm. because you can only distort things so long before they explode. Right. And so to the extent the bond market is going to have an impact or the equities market, the equities market has been pointlessly fluffed since 08. There's no yeah. reason on earth. And if, if interest rates were objectively empirically reported on rather than decided by the Fed, we would have a more smoothly functioning economy. And that was the whole point of end the Fed. But you're asking entrenched people in power to give up being important. And no one likes giving up being important. And they also don't like being told they've lived a lie. Mm. When Ben Bernanke just got a Nobel Prize in economics, it made me remind the world that Alfred Nobel did not create a prize in economics. He didn't think it was a science. That was created later. Anyway, that's my rant. But in response to sort of, if that's helpful, the, 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 these markets are so dislocated by government randomly putting its thumb on the scales mm. with no rhyme or reason. Whatever politician happens to be in power at the time gets to do it. And is that is that sort of 
in keeping with what your other guests have been talking about, or is it sort of a different view on the same sort of headache? Yeah, as is a different. It was the same basis, kind of really that 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 their that their action has be, that the, that basically the economy cannot accept higher rates. That so much damage is going to be caused. But and, and these rates are paltry. Yeah. Right. Like you said, you said you lived through fourteen percent. I remember our real estate agent. He's like, I've sold, I've sold houses when the zero percent rates. I've sold mortgages when they're eighteen yeah. percent. Just the price. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the flip know, side to bad, the flip side to rates being bad for the economy is who says you used to put money when I was a kid. You put money in your savings account and you made six percent. You know. You know. Uh, <laughs> I read a book. Uh, this is one of my favorite books. It was about budgeting. I forget the exact name of it, but it changed how I looked at, you know, doing monthly spending. And it was written in 2007. And I read it, I believe, in 2014 or 2015. And he said, he wrote in there, yeah, you can put your money in a savings account and get 5%. I was like, what the hell is he talking about? Right. That used to be normal, <laughs> right? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, and you got to wonder because if Citibank is charging their credit card customers 18.5%, and it's giving their savings customers 0.01%. <laughs> Who's getting all that spread? Right. They you. Right. Yeah. And so the 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 every attempt, every attempt the government makes to regulate a market, they just provide first off, all these rules are written by the industries that they're supposed to go to regulate. So they, they gamify it. And no amount of regulators they will tell you this. It's an unfair fight, right? If the SEC can hire 50 smart lawyers, and they shouldn't. They should hire statisticians, but they don't. Anyway, just take away the titles. If they hire 50 smart people to regulate bad market behavior, right? One hedge fund can spend more money mm. on brilliant PhDs figuring out how to game their rules. Yeah. And so there's this, this horrible push and pull where <clears throat> if you allowed radical transparency so people understood what was being charged, right? You used to have to care. Prior to the FDIC, prior to the Great Depression, where the government decided to guarantee your deposits as a retail investor, you actually had to pay attention as if you were an equity investor, if you were putting your money in a bank. Hmm. Right? And that's why big banks that have been there a long time aggregated assets and why Jimmy and Johnny, I got a fun idea for a bank, Inc., got no money because you might lose it all. If you make bad loans, the money's gone. There's no government insuring it. And every step the government has taken has divorced people from taking responsibility for economic reality with consistently disastrous results. Mm. And every time people are asked to vote for more freedom and less protection, the sheep will vote for less for less freedom. Right. And I don't know how you change that dynamic, honestly. I really don't. Yeah. Um, a question I have for you is, so, because... Back to what I was saying is that's my biggest question going forward. So I think the reason that equities and um, crypto even have not just fallen off that cliff is because I think there's still an expectation that the Federal Reserve is going to do what the Bank of England did and pivot. Basically, hmm. because they're seeing all these things get all this carnage happening, right? Like what's happening in England. Sure. And, um, you know, you have funds having issues, lots of layoffs rising unemployment, that sort of stuff. And yeah. inflation is not reduced. Their rising prices definition is not coming down. They think that the Fed is going to, okay, we're going back to 0%, which would obviously 
rally everything again, like it did last year in 2021. Huh. Do you think that's going to happen? I don't know. Well, I think there are two fundamental differences in the UK and the US equity market. First off, we've got a much bigger, more diversified economy and more resilient. And unlike cryptocurrencies, there's real value there, right? I mean, <clears throat> when in 07, 08, I had a gleeful time as the world fell off a cliff. And, you know, I, I think I bought GE shares at $3. <laughs> They'd been at 150, you know, eight months before. And so, the, the, what I said earlier about kind of everything's correlated until it's not and the rest of it, like part of the stupidity of the 0708 crash was, and I lectured on this at law school in terms of bankruptcy classes, um, was that there's always been this concept of mark to market, right? As an asset manager, you have to mark your book to market, right? And if so, if I own a share of stock that my fundamental analysis tells me is worth $98, but it's trading in the market at $72. Well, from, from my analytical standpoint, that's a buy signal. I'm going to keep buying that stock until 91 because I think it's fundamentally worth 92. So it's a profit fee. But that's different conceptually, right? That's my fundamental view of the value of that company and what I'm willing to pay for it. And the market may or may not ever agree with me. And that's where the efficient markets hypothesis is ridiculous because, and it especially became true in that example with GE, right? G's business did not fundamentally change right. because of the financial crisis at all. They're an industrial concern, multi, a multi-diversified conglomerate. Right? So did they take a little bit of a hit? Yeah. But did they take a hit worthy of $150 down to three? No. Right? But that's the irrationality of inefficient markets, meaning, and it's a great example, right? So I, why I came up in bankruptcy class, I'm very, very quick. I own 10 stocks all on leverage, right? For whatever reason. The world falls apart. Nothing about these companies has changed. Mm. But the world's in a panic. And banks start tightening margin requirements, start making cash calls. So I have to actually give cash against my positions. Well, I'm fully invested. So I have to start to sell equities to get cash to pay off my margin requirements. Very simplistic example. But you can see how that becomes a self-reinforcing downward spiral. Right. Everybody does that. Even though literally nothing about these companies' operations has fundamentally changed at all. We're all facing extrinsic calls on our portfolios that have nothing to do with the companies, but they force us to sell the equities, which makes the price go down. So we're going to see something similar here. We are seeing something similar like that. Um, but at the end of the day, there is dry powder in the world, like Warren Buffett and you know old clowns like me who keep some cash because as prices go up, I'm like, I'm just going to wait. And Eventually, there are buyers for every for every, for every market. Um, the danger is is that this, no rule always works. So that mark to market rule, which was set up so that people couldn't lie to investors, they couldn't say I own all these equities and I value them here, so that's how I'm going to report them. We're well, not allowed to do that, right? The 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 way it works is the market says they're here. You have to report them there. So there's a difference between fundamental value. And um, you know what the market says, mm. and that's that's the main difference, right? So your example of the Fed, you know, moving rates around—that's sort of a macro club they use and move stuff around. But for fundamental investors, they're delighted. Like when that crap happens and rates you know shoot up and prices drop, the reason those there's eventual floor to that is like rational buyers step in. So. I don't know if that's answering your question, but more 
the more fundamental investors there are and the more diversity of opinion there is amongst buyers and sellers, the more you get to a rational price. We'll never collapse because these companies operate. They're not, they're throwing up dividends. Mm. Someone's paying the same dividend that was basically a 2.8% yield yesterday and it's suddenly a 9% yield. I mean, I'm borrowing money to buy that stock. Right. Is that is that a helpful answer? It is. Um, I guess my my point is that in 2020, with the whole March situation, yeah, they did crash about 40%, but the Fed actually stepped in. And for some reason, while everyone was at home, everything rallied right. past the previous highs. And oh, that was, just a, that was just a flood of money. Right? Yeah. That's, that was a monetary phenomenon. Exactly. Mm. This flooded money in. And so all of a sudden I had more money and I had to put it to work. And so I put more into my mutual fund and the mutual fund manager got the money. And then he went and bought more of the same stocks he bought and the price went up. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, all of that. Again, one more governmental distortion. They should right. never shut the economy. They certainly didn't need to send people random checks without any reason. Um, <laughs> that helped too. I mean, that oh, all of it. Oh, it's just yeah. a flood of money drives up prices. Hmm. Inflation is everywhere and always a monetary phenomenon. Just, Put that on your gravestone with Milton Friedman, right? It always the same, the same exact amount of goods and services exist on day one. You double the money supply. You now double the, the willingness of people to pay for that exact same good and service a day later. Now the price is doubled. Not brain surgery, yet it seems elusive to the nutcases in Washington. <laughs> I think the difference, unlike the, uh, well, I mean, in, when the 2008 stuff happened, there were, decently high rates before they went down to zero again. Um, I guess that's my thing is, is this time different, meaning that the rates are not going to go back down? Yeah, hopefully they won't go down, go back down because they've got to hold the line. I mean, otherwise you get to another Paul Volcker who is going to you know set T-bill rates to 19% <laughs> and finally kill inflation. You know, inflation should remain at zero. The very fact that these, these snake oil salesmen managed to sell everyone the comforting illusion Oh, inflation's running between 1.8 and 2%. We're very happy with that. I'm not happy with that. You're stealing 2% from me per year. I'm not happy right. at all with that. That sucks, right? And they talk about deflation like it's the worst thing on earth. Deflation is awesome for those of us who are prudent with our money. Right. Phenomenal. Great stuff. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it, right? So it, it is a huge fight, huge fight, um, and has been going on for years about sound money advocates versus monetarists. Um, the and just, I, I always have to say this whenever it comes up, any university that gave anyone any degree in what's called modern monetary theory should instantly be stripped of their accreditation. <laughs> the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And the number of people walking around saying modern monetary theory, um, that's called Weimar Germany. I don't know what you're babbling about. No, no, we could just print it. We'll just send more electrons to your bank account. Yeah, that's called inflation. And the fact they stand there and like look into a camera and say, no, you're just not getting it. Uh, yeah, I'm getting it. <laughs> getting it just fine. Yeah. So the another question is um, my guest, Bamal, he made the point that we might be heading towards deflation because of the rising rates. That even though there's been tons of money printed mm. by government in, you know, from 2020 to 2022, that because the rates are rising and you're seeing people flock into cash, uh, this whole idea of the relative dollar strength, right? Like right. have you have yen? I mean, the yen's yep. cratering. 
Um, I know because my wife's Japanese and, you know, she's not very happy about that. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then Fair the enough. euro, I've never seen the euro this low in my lifetime. Yep. Uh, same thing with the pound. Yep. So, um, and it's, this actually makes sense to me because you're, you're not seeing commodities like gold or silver rise. Gold was higher in 2021. It yep. hit its all-time high when you had all that money printing. But now that everyone accepts that we have inflation, those they're actually going down. So I, I find that interesting. And that kind of tells me, well, maybe the, the idea that there's a bunch of money out there isn't necessarily true because these rates are taking down the leverage. So the, the amount of money in the system is not as much as people thought. And I, I've been mm. thinking about that the last 48 hours. And I think that makes a lot of sense based mm. off how people are acting in the market. That's interesting. I, I would say everything fits into context, though, though. I think some of the major differences are, A, I've dealt with gold bugs my entire life. They are a, a degree more sane than QAnon. Um, it's like their inherent, you know, if, if gold were inflation adjusted, it would be like $89,000 an ounce now. Like, it's just not. So everyone can relax. Um, the main, one of the main headaches we've got is that the U.S. is unique. So from 08 to 2011, right? Again, this is how they get away with this because except for horrendous, you know, finance guys and policy wonks, no one notices, right? So the Fed monetized the debt for, 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 for years, every quarter. So most Americans like, have no understanding of this, that the U.S. Treasury held their usual Treasury auctions, like notes, five-year bonds, 10-year bonds, right? And in, and in, in some, sometimes like up to 95% of the purchases made at that auction were purchased by the Federal Reserve. That is literally using your Visa card to pay off your MasterCard to pay off your American Express card. Eventually, you've run out of credit. But we didn't run out of credit because of the world's reserve currency. We could keep issuing a new credit card. Hmm. The Chinese are, are poised to turn the renminbi into another reserve currency. The moment the world accepts another reserve currency, we are Greece. This country is, the, the official debt is $32 trillion. When you add up state, municipal, and federal obligations, promises made to people without any way to pay for it, it's closer to $140 trillion. This nation is bankrupt. Bankrupt. There is no question about that. And the problem is the longer this goes on, the more everyone thinks it's okay. Mm. But when the bill comes due and inflation catches up with the true value of the dollar, you're going to find out that a loaf of bread is 900 bucks and your home heating bill is $47,000 a month. And everyone's suddenly poor. Mm. Just ask what happened to middle-class pensioners in Athens a few years ago. They went from middle-class pensions to impoverished nothing changed except mm -hmm. the value of their assets went to nothing uh and we're in deep trouble and everyone's still whistling and worrying about what kanye says on twitter I would say it's madness madness um I, I i don't know what the solution is i hope some adults get into power shortly the best we can hope for is gridlock in november um but <laughs> The willingness to just spend money. It's not even spend money that we force our great-grandchildren to borrow from the Chinese at this point. It's now money that is completely illusory and will never be paid off except right. in massive inflation. 
So not a hopeful sign, but I I would love to think that things like you know, human, I'm always a fan of human ingenuity. I'm always a fan, right? The green revolution enabled us to feed 10 billion people on the planet, drive the Malthusians and some people on the left crazy that we can actually feed all these people and the world isn't going to die. So are we able to do the same thing? Are we going to have Star Trek replicators? They're going to put protein chains together and everyone's going to have yummy lattes and eggs every morning. That'd be nice. Could be, right? Not technologically impossible. So maybe we're getting there. Maybe we're going to be so broke. We have to innovate our way to completely equal co- communism. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> so given all that, where where do people go? Like where, where? because I've heard some folks say commodities, but you right. seem to be uh, anti-gold. <laughs> yeah, but commodities for sure. Like anything that's a real asset will hold value because, you know, if you buy the piece of land today and it grows corn, um, you know, there's a great example in Adam Smith going back to, you know, he gave the example of uh, one of the Cambridge universities that took a grant or a loan from a farmer. Half of the rent was to be paid like eight shillings a year. And the other half was to be paid in a thousand bushels of corn, wherever it was. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, over a hundred years, the eight shillings became pointless, but the bushels of corn maintained their value, right? So if you, if you can invest in things that are real assets that produce real things, yeah, you're always going to have some of an inflation hedge because the prices are going to go up, the prices are going to go down, but you're going to have something to sell that is real in real time that you can pay off other real bills with. So, hmm. you know, I'm not entirely pessimistic because humans tend to muddle through, um, but I just hope that the government stays out of the way. No more zero interest. All the, all, you know, the very fact I've, re- I've written a book that's coming out shortly. In fact, it's about central banking. And it contains the proposition that there, there's no reason for central bankers to sit around like masters of the universe playing Dungeons and Dragons and setting interest rates, right? Observe them. Everything from the loan shark in the corner willing to give you 20% on the arm to, you know, the Publix, which will let you buy on credit for 2% a year. Observe yeah. the rates the market has and report them and let people make a decision. You know, the price of money is a price like any other. We don't let the government set the price of bread because that's disastrous. Why do we let them set the price of money? Yeah, And that is something powerful that things like BSV and a lot. what I like about a lot of these innovations is they are mediators of value, freely, mm. freely decided with no governmental intervention. And that's the power, I think. I mean, that's where such great stuff can happen. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's one of the reasons I came into it because um, I started doing this research about Fed and inflation and all that in 2018. And that, um, you know, that run up in BTC or 2017 and that run up in Bitcoin, BTC um, caught my attention. And when I looked into it, I said, okay, you know, I have a payments background and, you know, it just solves so many fundamental issues with online payments. And yeah, the the nature of it that is truly owned um, it's not a debt instrument. It wasn't, um, you know, there's a fixed supply, which some people have a problem with, but truly the units, I mean, th- there's one quadrillion Satoshi. So that's way more than money, than yep. the existence of money. So I don't think that's a problem, at least not right now. And you could do derivatives on top of Bitcoin. So, right. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, people actually having control of the money, being able to send it without the third party. I mean, it's crucial because the government, in my opinion, has no right be telling people how they can and cannot transact and to bring that full circle you know paypal i mean i'm surprised they've made it this long yeah um, 
I think they've um, they've done a great job of riding the narrative. To me, Bitcoin eviscerates something like PayPal. I mean, I think it will. I mean, we're heading towards that. Them coming out with that silly announcement. I mean, that's going to do nothing but be negative for them. So I expect more of that clown type of behavior to continue. And, you know, as we move forward, I hope you're right that we have more fundamental investors come in because, you know, even though we have this wild economic environment, I think BSV as is, is probably underpriced significantly. Um, But, you know, what's it going to take? have a price in and of itself? I mean, I guess the dollar is a price too. So I mean, I kind of guess that kind of makes sense, but you know, it's, it's, to me, it's just a fundamentally enable, a fundamental enabling protocol. But because the argument is that you actually have to own a few of them to transact, that's why it's got a utility. Okay, I think that makes sense. All right. right. And, well, then- we'll, and we'll see. The, you know, if, if the government stays out of the way, one last example, right? I mean, it has been... Well, I quote Lewis Black, who says, you know, the government lies to be uncomfortable with that. They do that all the time. That's fine, right? But as long as it's sort of like quotidian lies, I don't care. But like the sweeping epic lies have become so outrageous, right? I mean, I, I work in the oil and gas industry. My colleagues and partners are in the oil and gas industry, right? And the, the aside from shutting off the pipeline, which made no sense, to slow rolling and denying, like they gave out 300,000 acres in drilling permits in 18 months when the normal amounts like 8.5 million acres in the same period of time for like the last 10 administrations, Right. And they sit there and, and, and try to claim like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, the, the, we're not doing anything different. It's, just, it's it's so egregiously pointless. The lies have gotten so big and the pain at the pump is huge. And, you know, John Kerry, when the Russians are busy bombing maternity hospitals, like, I really hope it'd be better if they, you know, club babies to death with sticks because of the carbon emissions. I mean, it's just bizarre. The, the preoccupations of the ruling class are what made Tulsi Gabbard leave the Democrat Party yesterday, right? She's, you know, and I remember my grandfather was a union man in New York. And the greatest, you know, curse you could make to a union man was, I bet you vote Republican. You get your ass kicked for that in New York in the 40s, right? (laughs) But he would be a Republican today because the Democrats are worried about gender pronouns and don't give a shit the working man is, you know, paying six bucks for, for a gallon of the pump. It's bizarre. We live in an inverted universe. And so we'll see. I uh, I don't know. I think November will be fascinating. Yeah. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with all this talk of energy crisis? Is that legitimate or are people fear-mongering? No, this is very serious. This is ridiculous. Um, we will have, well, the crisis is here, right? I was paying a buck 89 for, ga- for gas in January of 2021. And suddenly it spiked to five. And that's in Florida. Right, keep the taxes low, right? Like ten bucks in California, <clears throat> um, it's it's madness. I think the crisis is here. I mean, I was in England when when uh, both the Queen died and the Prime Minister came in, just coincidentally. And uh, you know, there the answer to lowering energy costs in Great Britain is to increase oil and gas production in the North Sea, not to borrow more money and send it to, to households. It's craziness. Yeah. And Europe held themselves hostage to this lunatic in Russia long ago. The Germans shut down their entire nuclear power fleet in response to the Fukushima reactor, which was sad. But again, no tsunamis are hitting Germany. 
And so I mean, you, it was. I mean, talk about the fact that German people put up with that nonsense. Some economists have so very briefly. I know you, you got to run. He commented that just numerically, because the population rise, more people in Germany today burn wood to heat their homes than they did in the Middle Ages, as a result of green energy policies. <laughs> so yeah, no, the, the crisis is is here. Uh, America is slightly insulated, but. Um, you know, these clowns have got to get reality because they are living a theoretical life. I go back to my Buddhism, alcoholism, and finance example, right? They're not accepting reality. They're not. I mean, we want to get to a green new world. Wonderful. But we need to burn coal and oil to get there. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not the whole politics thing. I, I do find what happens at the election time interesting because, um, you know, just given all the stuff, it seems like a lot of folks are unhappy. But, you know, I thought the same thing in 2020 and you look what happened, actually happened, right? Yeah. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I just find it fascinating that uh, the current administration is the one single-handedly responsible, in my opinion, uh, at least causing it the overnight spike in gas prices and then oh, yeah. try to act like, oh, well, actually, we need to come down. It's like, dude, you, 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 you did an announcement. Like you said, it was $2 before. You did an announcement and it... Our crude oil went to like 120 overnight. Yep. And the next day, gas here in Georgia, like again, low taxes, four bucks. It's like it's never yep. come back down since. So nope. that's that's the new normal. Yeah. And they love it. Yeah. They love it because they don't give a shit about the working man. And I again they lead, you know, my wife put it beautifully years ago. She's like, I can't stand people that lead theoretical lives. <laughs> it's what it is. Right. I'm I'm so completely not worried about the globe's inability to adapt to an incremental amount of carbon over the next hundred years mm. if everyone's going to be impoverished before then. <laughs> I don't care. We're going to see social unrest and wars and the rest of it. Um, so this is so great that you know, solar is going to save us. Well, you know, I know what goes into solar panels and the environmental destruction caused by the mining of the materials that go into the solar panels mm. but la 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 they don't want to hear that so yeah. i don't know what are your main predictions what do you what do you think is going to happen in november i just you know frankly i know you're not supposed to talk about this but i just think it's i feel i think of a way it should go especially down here i'm going to be watching what happens with georgia because i mean there's a lot of nonsense happening i think frankly i'm i'm generally not fan of the government but um here georgia has probably been one of the better it's been like florida in terms yeah. of i mean they don't run they actually ran surpluses somehow during 2020 right and um which is unheard of in this day and age of government being responsible so yeah i hope that continues i hope all that stuff but to me i just look at it and say they're gonna rig it right because wow. because that's the momentum of where we're going why would why would you go against that that's how i look at it Mm. Um, and I, you know, all the stuff I saw locally here that maybe the the world doesn't really know about. I mean, I saw lots of corruption and mm. I just, you know, I hope we keep the same governor. I think it's very unlikely. Um, wow. and I, fundamentally, like looking at it from a top down logical standpoint, I think that's what will happen. But I just think there's too much unforeseen stuff going on in the background to, um, you know, make that possible. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. No, and I think we can close on that because it's it, it, if if what I would hope everyone, and this is what I find somewhat terrifying, is sort of the 
blinkered view of people on either side of the political aisle, right? That that I want to win no matter what. Careful, because if people don't believe that the system is fair and it works, that's really dangerous. That's really dang, like really dangerous. Yeah, like Civil War two Like that's mm-hmm. really dangerous. And so, you know, whoever doesn't want to increase the transparency and not only fairness but the appearance of fairness, appearance of fairness, um, worries me. Mm. It's not really about winning at all costs. If you win right. at all costs and the world decides no, that's a coup. I mean, it's it's dangerous stuff. It is dangerous stuff to and, and whether or not they're dropping boxes in the middle of the night and the rest of it you know any any governor of any political persuasion should want to do absolutely everything possible to make sure that there are always five people watching every polling station right yeah. just just from the point of view you don't want to be accused of it looking shady and it can if if you if people are getting project veritas is getting videos of vans full of ballots being dropped off by one driver at two in the morning, that just raises the chances of fraud, Hmm. right? Whether it's true or not, one driver, 2 a.m., that looks a lot worse than four drivers in broad daylight. Just Hmm. does. Just does. So hopefully everyone remains calm and rational. um, And uh, let's pray for gridlock. But anyway, Joshua, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate your time. I look forward to having you back. And until next time, as I tell everybody, turn off the mainstream media. They're lying to you. Tune in to hear guys like me and Joshua. Mm. (laughs) Learn what Bitcoin is, how it works, and why it matters. Bitcoin 101, your ultimate guide to the fundamentals of blockchain.